This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Seltzer is having a moment. We can't get enough of that delightfully effervescent beverage. Flavored, unflavored, artisanal, mass-produced, you name it. NPR reported last year that Americans are drinking nearly 170 million gallons of the fizzy stuff each year, and sales have gone up 42% over the past five years with no signs of slowing down. Author Barry Joseph knows a thing or two about this. Barry is the author of Seltzertopia, the extraordinary story of an ordinary drink, published by Behrman House. He joined us now to talk seltzer along with Alex Gomberg, vice president of Brooklyn Seltzer Boys and the fourth generation to run the family's seltzer business. Gentlemen, how are you? Allison, so great to be here today. Hi, yeah, I'm Allison. Gonna how are you doing? Let's cheers with our seltzer. You brought seltzer to us. Oh, that's the tiniest thing my of seltzer ever. Seltzer. Cheers. Oh, you don't have oh, maybe <laughs> me a little seltzer shot glass. This segment could go on for days now. Thank you All for right, helping so... us spend some time talking about our age of effervescence. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you write this book, Barry? This book was an interesting project that just grew out of the side and slowly took over my life. I just oh, I've w- been on your blog. <laughs> You've seen I it. I started back to 2006, right? 2004. Four. Yeah. 2004, when this new company came to the U.S., we now know it as SodaStream. It was called Soda Club at the time, and I just wanted to own one. I wanted to be able to make my own seltzer in the comfort of my own kitchen. And I thought if I wrote a product review, I could get something in the press, and I can get a copy. And I did, but I never expected it was going to become a project that would take over 10 years to unravel this story of what is seltzer, what does it mean to people, and what does it mean that we're entering this age of seltzertopia. Now, for you, Alex, this is this is family legend. This is your life. You've been in seltzer forever. Well, uh, yes. It's been <laughs> in my family. It's in my blood. Uh, I'm fourth generation. So my, my great-grandfather started the business in 1953, although he's been a seltzerman uh, long before that, just delivering schlepping cases. And now I'm doing the same thing. Seltzerman. That's officially what it's uh, called. I am that's a seltzerman. Right. Yes. All right. Even if you're a woman, you're a seltzerman. <laughs> yes. Seltzerman. That's okay. I, I'm with <laughs> They're you. out there too. All right. So yes. you credit an 18th century Brit named Joseph Priestley that's as right. the man who invented seltzer. Tell us a little bit about him. So Joseph Priestley figured out for the first time, how can we take carbonation and not and get it into a glass of water? Previously, if you wanted carbonated water, you had to travel to a spa and you had to have the means to leave your business, leave the city and go out to this place where you were going to drink this carbonated water, maybe bathe in this carbonated water. Well, Joseph Priestley figured out that if you held uh, water and you mix it up with CO2 and you, and you held it under pressure and that water was nice and cold, you would get carbonated water. And for the first time, we had the ability to manufacture the water that was like these spas. And at the time, it was all medicine. It was medicinal. You drank these things not because it tasted good, not because you wanted it with chocolate syrup or to mix with an egg cream. You had it because you had some problem and the water would help you. And so now for the first time, we had the ability as a result of Priestley, to make it ourselves. And this very smart man in Switzerland, who many of us now know, Schweppes, moved to England and made the first seltzer company. And the rest is history. Well, I think it's great the way Priestley discovered it because of beer. That's right. He worked. He lived next to a brewery, and he was fascinated. He was a, um, a religious man by trade, but he loved exploring science. He actually had a relationship with Ben Franklin, who inspired him to do his own research. And he was fascinated by what would happen in the back of this brewery when the hops was, was uh, forming. And he saw that, that gas was forming above the liquid. And he thought, wow, what if I held a bu- uh, some water and switched it back and forth inside this gas? Would, would something happen? And that's when he first saw that, wait a second, it's not only going into the water, it's staying there. He then went back to his home next door, his own laboratory, and he then figured out how he could not only do it himself, but communicate it to others. And I'm going to read from your book, After That Happened, you write, Priestley took great pleasure in his discovery, later calling it his happiest, but never a businessman saw in it little immediate scientific or practical value. He may never have fully 
appreciated that it transformed the rare into the common, upending the economics dictating who could access seltzer and where. With no drive to publish his findings, for years his technique remained the providence of the honest Whigs and other members of the Royal Society. The world had no idea that humanity had just gained the power of fizz. So that goes to your point that it stayed among the upper echelons. That's right. But then there was the head of the Navy, and in, this is in uh, Great Britain, and being a Navy power, they were very concerned about the problems they had on the ships of the sailormen contracting scurvy, which we now know is because of a lack of CO2. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that at the time. But Priestley thought, well, maybe it was because of that. Maybe if there were seltzer machines on the British naval ships, they can stop seltzer. And it didn't work. They might have been, had a, a better <laughs> trip because they had some seltzer to drink. But eventually he wrote up those findings, and those findings what he shared with the world. Back at a time when it was so important for people to share the science as people were learning new things, because that not only helped humanity be healthier, but it also led to tremendous innovations that drove business and helped people improve their lives. And I think this is the most hilarious title when he finally published it, Impregnating Water with Fixed Air. <laughs> That's right, impregnating <laughs> water. That was the, the scientific term at the time for getting those bubbles into that water. Okay, you mentioned Jacob Schweppe. Mm-hmm. Explain to folks how he took it to the next level. So Schweppes was someone who read Priestley's uh, pamphlet. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, he lived in Switzerland. He, he, he dealt with watches. But he had this idea that maybe he can build a company around it. And he, he moved to England and went from Joseph Priestley having this scientific idea to Schweppes having a company. And within a few decades, Schweppes was the official seltzer of the queen. So how did the, where, where did seltzer come from? So seltzer is one of those words for a food product that actually describes a particular place. We just have largely forgotten it. Seltzers um, or Niederselters is actually the name of a town in Germany, which was one of those many spas that I referred to earlier. And like many of those spas, they would bottle their water in clay jugs in the 1700s and 1600s, and they would sell all over Europe. And as they sold, people would change the name in different localities. Niederselters became Selters, and Selters became Seltzer. And that's what we know it as today. Alex, let me bring you in. So I've got a bottle of, let's see, can people hear this? <laughs> well, that sounds good. It's actually a real, this thing is heavy. Yes, yeah, so that's a siphon bottle. All right, explain to people what I'm holding. So that is an original siphon bottle. It's actually hand-blown in Czechoslovakia. Uh, so it's a very thick glass. It's got a metal siphon top. Uh, you could hear the glass when you <laughs> tap <else>. it. Um, <laughs> and it's got a siphon, a, tr- a trigger on it. So what's great about these bottles, it holds the pressure at 60 pounds. So it's a very, very strong tasting seltzer. Uh, when you when you dispense it from the trigger uh, and the seltzer comes out, um, you could pour. Yeah, go ahead. Should pour I try? It. Sure. All right. There you Whoa. go. That's a good sound. <laughs> don't point it sound. at me. No, Please don't point it at me. So that's sixty. <laughs> that's that's a very very strong seltzer. It should hurt when it goes down. Uh, you shouldn't be able to gulp good seltzer. And our seltzer is very. Uh, it's a lot of pressure in there. It's very charged. Um, and uh, it's just a very good pure taste. What's inside that bottle is New York City tap water that we triple filter through sand, charcoal, and paper. Uh, Then it's mixed with CO2. There's no salt. There's no chemicals, nothing. It's just plain filtered New York City tap water and CO2. So where do the, where do you get the bottles? So the bottles are no longer made, manufactured. We uh, have acquired them through many seltzermen over the years. Um, there were many, many, many seltzermen back in its heyday, but mm-hmm. um, Gomberg Seltzer Works is now the last remaining filling station, and Brooklyn Seltzer Boys, uh, uh, same same family, but we deliver the bottles. One of the last seltzermen 
uh, out there. And Alex is one of the many seltzer men and women in Seltzertopia. And one of the other ones, Walter Backerman, who Alex knows well, says he doesn't own these seltzer siphons. He's a custodian. He has taken them and inherited them from the men and women who delivered them before him, and he's holding on to them for the next generation. Right, and that's that's the biggest thing about what we do. We are preserving the history of these bottles. If you hold it up and you look at it, you could see an etching from an old seltzer. Oh, man. you sure can. They're all uh, etched differently. K a u r f. Right, it's probably Elf. from Brooklyn, right? It looks Bronx. The Bronx. Okay. Bronx, so mo- New York. Right. Most of the bottles we have are either Brooklyn, Bronx, uh, Manhattan, uh, just in the general area. But we've acquired bottles from other seltzermen that are all over the, the U.S. I mean, seltzer, there was a lot of seltzermen all over the country. These things are heavy. And they're heavier when they're full. And we deliver <laughs> 10 of them at a time up Holy many flights cow. of stairs. It's, it's, it's hard work. It's the seltzer workout. <laughs> That's right. Right. It's history written on bottles right there. It's pretty cool. We're talking to Barry Joseph. He wrote the book Seltzertopia, the Extraordinary Story of an Ordinary Drink, and Alex Gomberg, the vice president of the Brooklyn Seltzer Boys. It's interesting you talked about a bite. I have a a friend, Zoe. She's nine, and she calls it spicy water. (laughs) That's her name for it. You know, you go across the the big pond and it's congas or whatever. Um, What makes – you kind of touched on this. What makes for good seltzer, Barry? So you need to have cold water. And the, that CO2, that impregnation process hap, has to happen under pressure. Then it has to be held there. As Alex was talking about before, the glass siphon that you're holding is really thick. It can hold pressure better than anything else that you can buy in a store, better than a, a, a can or, or a bottle made of plastic. And so you need that. At the same time, you got to keep it cold. You don't want to keep it on the side of your fridge. You want that cold when you put it into a glass and you want to drink it right away. And if you mix it with something, like if you want to make an egg cream, mixing it with chocolate syrup and milk, you only have a few minutes to drink it to get, keep that carbonation. So we were kind of going in the timeline of seltzer. So we got to Schweppe. What was the next, would you say, what was the next milestone in seltzers? Well, let's bring it to New York City. Yeah. All right. So in the 19th century, John Matthews, who was uh, born in Britain, comes to America and becomes the soda fountain king. Right? And so what he was able to do, and then with his sons, who continued after him, was manufacture a way to not only make it in a factory, but how you can do it at a soda fountain. How you could have the devices where the carbonation would happen in the pharmacy itself, and later the candy stores and mm-hmm. soda fountains, so you could walk up and order a two cents plane. And when that happened, you were no longer having people drinking seltzer because it was good for you, you were drinking it because it tasted good. And you had to start taking out the harsh chemicals, um, that, that gave you that mm-hmm. medicinal quality, t- that medicinal taste, and instead putting in sweet flavorings and different syrups. And then you had this explosion of soda jerks competing to make the best egg cream, the best banana flip, lime the rookie. best phosphate, the best lime rookie, whatever it was, <laughs> and competing with someone on the other three corners, coming up with one flavor after another with very rapid innovations. What do you two make of the incredible interest in bubble water now. I don't even want to, I, I don't know, I should, can I call LaCroix seltzer in front of you, Alex? Uh, okay, uh, maybe, sure. I don't want to insult you, you're my <laughs> guest, but I have a feeling that that's not, you. it's apples and oranges for well, you. Just when I think of seltzer, I think of my seltzer. It's just <laughs> the way it's supposed yeah. to be. Plain, there's no flavoring, uh, just as it is. I mean, it's just water and CO2. I'll ask Barry, the historian. Sure. You're a little more of a new... Alex gets to be a purist, and I respect that. Yes. But seltzer it has always evolved. And in fact, as we mentioned, the original seltzer tastes nothing like what Alex delivers today. And, and I'm thankful for it. I'm glad it tastes like what he delivers today. Mm-hmm. But it changed from something that was full of... of, of all sorts of properties that it got coming out of the ground to something we can manufacture ourselves and keep it as pure water to, yes, 
things that people can add flavor to, not just at home, mixing syrup, but also buying it in a store, buying a LaCroix. Seltzer is something that's very much defined by the people who are drinking it, who they are, how they identify, and where they're located in both place and time. It's constantly changing. It's both its own thing, but sometimes it's associated with water. Sometimes it's associated with soda. And often the battles over history about should it be taxed or not taxed, or who could sell it and who, oh, who shouldn't yeah. sell it, or where those lines are drawn. But the more you try and fix it, the more Seltzer tries to escape and say <laughs> I'm something else. And that's part of what makes it such a fascinating thing to learn about, because you can never pin it down. When was it first mass marketed to Americans? Uh, it came to it was John Matthews who made the ability for people to go into a soda fountain here down in Wall Street, for mm-hmm. example, um, to get a glass of, of, of seltzer uh, in like the 1820s, 1830s. That was the first time that the masses can access it, not just those who had the means to travel to a spa. But it really wasn't until the end of that century when what Alex is doing, generations upon generation, really began, where people could have soda works, where they could have these glass siphons that came over from Eastern Europe, um, uh, carbonating uh, after filtering the local municipal water, and then having the practice of first bringing them out via horse-drawn trucks, and then eventually, you know, uh, how do you get around now, Alex? Uh, a van. A van. <laughs> van. But you yeah. guys use the old crates, right? Oh, yeah. We So everything that we do is all original. I mean, we, we haven't changed. We haven't reinvented the wheel. We basically do the same thing as my great-grandfather did. Um, the only thing different today is that we, you know, use social media and we take credit cards. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's about it. I mean, they're in their original wooden boxes. Mm-hmm. We actually make new boxes. My dad's a carpenter, so he replicated the new box. So we have um, the, the same wooden boxes. We fill them by hand. We fix them by hand. We Everything is done the same exact way, but just in, just a little, a little bit newer. That's all. Something that was interesting in your book is, you know, a lot of people order hooch, vodka and and seltzer, they weren't always friends, correct? That's right. In the battles uh, before Prohibition, uh, there was a line drawn between the, the sodas and the alcohols. And there were times when the folks on the alcohol side, like beer, said, we're more like the sodas. We're, we're the thing that will prevent people from drinking the harder alcohol. On the other hand, you had on the, the soda side people saying, hey, don't wrap us up in your battles. You're about to be made illegal. We're not about that. We're something else. And there were um, publications that were all about building up the industry. And at first, they kept them all together. But as we got closer to prohibition, they had to draw a line. And the line was, listen, we're about soda. We're about soda water, club soda and seltzer. Alcohol, we're not about that anymore. And it took decades to bring them back together again. Alex, you could have done a lot of things with your life. I could have. <laughs> Why did you decide to stick with the family biz? Because it's it's just, again... You're a young I, guy. It, I want to point out to people. Alex, is a, how old are you? I am 31. Yeah, he's young. You're a young fella. Youngest seltzer man in the country. I am. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 just a part of my family. I mean, I have I have brothers and sisters and cousins that probably could have got involved, but I you know I just after graduating school and 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 I wanted to do something interesting. I figured this is the chance for me to do something interesting and and keep a business going that was on its way out. It was mm-hmm. fizzing, if you if you will. Uh, but uh, you know there is a market for it. People forgot that we're here. We want to show people that the, the, the seltzer is still going. It's so cool, I have to say. It's, it's kind of fun to hold. It's a it really is. It's a know? beautiful looking bottle, and it's very nice displayed on people's table. And it's a memory. It's a gonna, memory for a lot of people. Do you, uh, not trying to sell your business here, but do you rent these out for like cocktail parties and stuff? Absolutely. This would be really fun to have, Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. Should well, I tell her? Tell her, God. That Alex is going to be coming to my son's bar mitzvah next year ah. to serve the egg creams. And I'm ah. so excited and so honored to have him there. That's genius. Making this event so much more impactful and meaningful and connecting to our heritage, our Jewish heritage, and bringing that tradition 
to Absolutely. that event. And it's good you booked us uh, when you did, because right now we have about a six to eight week wait list for customers. Wow. And that, that, that affair is not till uh, 2019. Right. So... You as a historian, last question, what do you see as the next evolution of seltzer? Well, you mentioned alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. Hard seltzer is something that we hear about more and more all the time. Hard seltzer. Right, but what we're really seeing, and these are the battles to watch, is this space that LaCroix has developed, this new market, who's going after it? Pepsi's going after it. They're making their own soda. They've bought Soda Stream. They bought it this year. They're going to start running it oh, in wow. January. Coca-Cola has bought this kind of cult drink from Southern Texas that people there love. Who else is going to come into this space, and how big can it actually get? The Bubble Wars, they're on. Barry, you're on tour currently, yes? That's right, and go to seltzertopia.com and see the dates. Hopefully we'll be coming by somewhere near you. Barry Joseph wrote the book Seltzertopia, the extraordinary story of an ordinary drink, and Alex Gomberg is vice president of Brooklyn Seltzer Boys. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on all of it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Allison.